Hey everyone, how's it going? My name is Mac and Carol. This is my podcast, Happy Sad Talk Thing. And um, normally on this show, we talk to compelling individuals, uh, kind of have free-form conversations. Uh, yeah, they are candid and silly and uh, sometimes hopefully profound and, and serious and interesting and, and sometimes just really, really dumb and fun and uh, everything in between. And sometimes all of those things at the same time, you know, and, and sometimes we do comedy on this show Sometimes we do music. Uh, it's basically just all about people and individuals and things like that. Um, you know, painting portraits of, of uh, people whose minds I, I enjoy, you know, or want to know more about. Um, but today it's just me. And uh, this is the first one where it's just me. Because um, there's just like some stuff going on in the world that I just want to kind of reflect on and, and chew on and kind of work out some of my thoughts. And I also want to share some of my own experience that I think is relevant in regards to that conversation. And that conversation is, a, you know, a, la- a large global conversation right now, which is sexual misconduct, you know, and sexual violence and things like that. Um, and, you know, in the press, we've seen a lot of accounts, you know, a lot of stories, um, a lot of truths being shared, you know, of, uh, you know, people being um, mistreated, you know? And I think in large part in the world, as far as sexual violence goes, there is a, there is a gender element to it. You know what I'm saying? There is like a, because, you know, we live in a heteronormative white male, you know, patriarchal culture those who hold those those are the people that hold the power for the most part in the universe, you know, and so they also can do the most damage. Um, but as we've seen with more nuanced cases, and and not even more nuanced cases, there, there there's there's plenty of egregious violence done just from humans to humans, you know, um, and uh, sexual violence committed from humans to humans, and. Um, you know, there's the convers- there's the part in the conversation that's like, what if this was your mother? What if this was your daughter? What if it's just like fucking so like, <laughs> do you have to be related to a person to care whether or not they're that they're sexually assaulted? <laughs> you know, that's fucked up. No, it's just like, it's and that's like weird because it's like, oh, what your men are supposed to protect women or something? Like, no, like you should just be horrified that another human was mistreated by another human, you know? And um, it's tricky. It's tricky because, you know, you read the New York Times thing about the um, all the people accused after Harvey Weinstein that have been either dismissed or fired or suspended or whatever. Um, it's like all white dudes, you know? So you're like, okay. <laughs> Let's call a spade a spade here. <laughs> um... But then you have like the Kevin Spacey thing where it's like, okay, you know, that's a, that's a whole nother issue, you know? And, and, and part of me thinks that the, the kind of heteronormative lens of the thing 
adds to the shame of of men speaking out who uh, have been mistreated or uh, assaulted or harassed or anything like that, you know? And uh, it's tricky when you speak out (laughs) on the behalf of men because historically that's just fucking, you know, ignorance and prejudice, you know? And it's not about... I don't know, it's tricky, because part of me sees the gendered part of this issue, and part of me sees the, just the human part of this issue, and obviously that's all that matters is the human part, but there's also a gender part to it, you know what I'm saying? And there's, uh, I don't know, like we live in such a toxic male culture, you know, our president's fucking Donald Trump. <laughs> Who's an example of just, like, all the toxic male qualities. And he gets a crown! Like, what? Insane. And I, it's just, I, I think about young men growing up right now with that as their kind of model, you know? And uh, I saw my friend Tatiana do a stand-up set the other day, and she was like, how many, men, how many women does it take to take down a powerful man in Hollywood? 10 to 40, you know? And so... You know, white men have the power, and uh, so that that puts victims of their abuse in an even like more difficult position. Like not only the act, the the initial sort of like repercussions and consequences of those actions, but also the disenfranchisement and the fucking just like like who's gonna believe you if you tell a story? You know what I'm saying? Just like the stories being silenced and things like that, and people being discredited and. That's that's like another element to the to the pain and the the tragedy and the horror of this stuff and and um, so it, it is good that this stuff is being talked about. It's progress. It's horrible that it happened, but it's progress. You know that that we're talking about it. You know what I'm saying? Because we need to hold each other accountable to to higher human standards, regardless of someone's anything (laughs) you know it's tricky because all of these cases are very different um it's like harvey weinstein i don't give a fuck about him you know (laughs) so it's like oh what a horrible monster was a horrible monster i made like fuck yeah fuck you donald trump fuck you you know bill cosby fuck you you know I i didn't grow up with him as one of my comedy heroes but i know a lot of people did so i know that one's a lot like, difficult for people, but, like, horrible, inexcusable shit, you know? Louis C.K., different accusations, horrible, inexcusable shit, horrible. Definitely, like, absolutely detest, like, the things that he did, you know? And, and, And the way that he traumatized those women. And I'm sure they felt fucking alone and terrified. Um, as, as was well reported, you know, um, but it's tricky cause I have a relationship with his work and I fucking like it. And I think like a lot of people in my generation admired Louis, you know, and he was a hero. He was a cultural hero. I would often say like Louis C.K. and Kendrick Lamar, two most important cultural commentators of our time. <laughs> um, and now it's like all fucked, you know? Because it's like, I don't want to endorse that shit, you know? And, like, he owned up to it, but it was way too late. It was only after the cat was out of the bag, man. And he denied it so much before that. And, like, 
that just makes me so sad, you know? I was listening to the Mark Maron thing, and it was, like, even crazier for him, because it's, like, not only does he have a respect his work thing, but he also, it's his fucking friend, you know? And uh, regardless of how we feel about him, he did some really horrific, selfish, dark shit that hurt a lot of people, and then he covered it up. And that's really fucked. It's fucked especially because, like, Louis, like, (laughs) he explores, like, so much, like, sexual darkness in his material. And before this shit came out, I, and I I know a lot of other people, like, connected to that because they were like, oh, it makes me, like, because uh... we all have our sexual darknesses, you know, and and things that were sort of like, like, you know, masturbate too much or whatever and, like. But just like that, like the the line between like having your weird kinks and perversions and then uh, using your sexual energy in a way that negatively impacts others. Like if you're assaulting people or mistreating people, like that's a huge fucking line, you know? And so, yeah, it's just weird, man. It's just super weird to have a champion. Uh just, yeah, yeah, I have him revealed to be a person of less character than you had assumed. Um, and so I think that's a weird thing that we're all going through. <laughs> uh, um, but obviously the more important conversation isn't how do we relate to <laughs> sexual predators' comedy specials. <laughs> the The important thing is like yo, how do, we, how do we honor these stories and how do we amplify these voices and how do we fucking, like, uh, change the culture so that this doesn't, this happens less or, or when it happens, it can, it can be talked about more. And so that's, that's what's important here. Um, and you want to look at yourself. You're like, okay, like, am I, even in a small way, perpetuating harmful ideologies? You know, like, am I a rapist? No. You know, and then you you scale it back from there, <laughs> and then like I don't know, there's there are a lot of moral gray areas. You know what I'm saying? And I and and just because something is a gray area doesn't mean it's like excusable. You know what I'm saying? Like you read the Louis C.K. thing, and it's like he was saying like, oh, I thought if I asked if I could whip out my dick and start masturbating in front of these women, that that made it okay or something like that. And and you see that sort of like self justification. And you're like, oh, shit, I hope I'm not doing that, you know? Um, And I'm a person who's, like, (laughs) kind of obsessed with his own faults, you know? To a a fault, even. Hilariously ironic. Um, And I was talking to my friend Alex Pacino recently, who we were talking about just uh, men, you know? And um, in a world with so much toxic masculinity, it's so... Uh, important that it's being talked about and and uh, challenged and uh, so there can be changed, you know. Um, but it's also like I don't know, like there are so many beautiful men out there, and there are so many like beautiful qualities of men that are. Uh, it's it's just like you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know. But you also want to be, like, very rigorous, and you don't want to be, like, 
Like, I'd rather get rid of all my toxic masculinity, <laughs> even if it gets rid of some of my, like, regular good masculinity or whatever. I don't know, because it gets into a whole thing of, like, gender identity and stuff like that. And, you know, I have a so, somewhat fluid one, you know, and I feel like I have a pronounced femininity, you know, but I also want to believe that I can find a way to transcend toxic masculinity and, and, and sort of evolve or, you know, and maybe this is like a thing I think that a lot of compassionate males are trying to figure out right now. It's like, how do we, how do we relate to our maleness in a, in a world where we're, you know, we're shown that so much of that is so much of the problems of the, of the world, you know? And, um, it's tricky. And I, I think uh, this is something that Alex said. It's just that, like, empathy, you know, if it's overdone or it's done wrong, it can, it can lead to shame, you know. And so it's hard to have compassion for yourself if, you're, if you want to Im- Im- op- also open a serious investigation into the self, you know, um, because you don't want that to learn to turn into self-justification. But also shame doesn't fucking help anybody, you know what I'm saying, like, if you're just like beating yourself up for no reason, that's not like helping the people that are being hurt by what you are accusing yourself of and not guilty of. You know what I'm saying? Um, so we don't want to crucify ourselves. You know, we want to love ourselves, but we also want to hold ourselves to higher standards and examine ourselves for potentially harmful ideologies, you know? Um, and so you think as a guy like, have I been creepy sometimes? Yeah, dude, probably. Um, have there been times where I've been like hitting on someone that maybe I shouldn't be hitting on someone? Yeah, you know, totally. Like, what's my intention when I'm buying somebody a drink, you know? And like, these are just important conversations that I think uh, men need to have right now, you know? And, um, yeah, you want to just uh, purge harmful ideologies so that we can evolve and grow and shit like that, you know? Um, and so, well, you don't want to, like, hate yourself <laughs> and just be like, I knew it, like, you know, I'm the worst. That's what the world is confirming it because um, I look like those guys that are evil, you know, um, or did some evil shit. And even if it comes from a place of weakness, like I can see the Louis stuff coming from a place of weakness and a place of darkness, but that still doesn't make it okay, you know? I don't know, man. Shit's shit's weird, dude. Shit's weird. Um, But definitely inexcusable. And uh, what matters now is, is the victims, you know? And that they can find solace in being heard, you know, because being heard is one of the most important things in this life. And listening to somebody, making them feel heard, it's the greatest. Um, but yeah, in, in large part, this is a non-gendered issue, and this is just people against fucking people issue. Um, and I think sometimes the heteronormative lens actually discourages men from speaking out about being... Uh, 
sexually assaulted or sexually mistreated, you know, because there's an embarrassment to that or something like that. And they're just like, what are you talking about? Like, you're supposed to be a man, you know, you're supposed to be able to defend yourself or like, oh, you ha- you got laid? Like, good for you. <laughs> you know, like this idea that men can't be sexually mistreated, you know. And it's tricky because, like, you you do, yeah, you do have the the, the gendered element of the issue of just, like, okay, yeah, women are fucking catcalled and sexualized constantly, and, like, the sexual violence against women, like, statistically, is way bigger, you know? But it also, like, you can't use that to invalidate the pain of, you know queer people men just like any anyone else who's who's mistreated by anyone else or women mistreated by women like it's just this is a it's a human issue you know and um this is complicated stuff and and i like to talk about complicated stuff and i like to just like throw all my thoughts out but i realize that this is like very very not only complicated stuff but also like uh you know, really, really fragile, delicate stuff. And so I really hope nothing I've said so far has been uh, offensive or dismissive or anything like that. Um, But I also just kind of want to speak to my own experience because I think it can contribute to the conversation about uh, sexual misconduct, you know, and the different, I think the different forms it can take are insidious at times, you know, um, I actually just paused this recording to do a Google search on the statute of limitations for statutory rape in the state of California. Um, and it's just reading up on the law, and it said that, like, you know, it's illegal for anyone over the age of 18 to have sex with anyone under the age of 18, uh, even if the sex is consensual, because... In the eyes of the law, minors are uh, not capable of, you know, giving consent, really. You know, they're not capable of making that decision and realizing the implications. And that's where my story comes into play. Um, and it's hard for me to talk about. It's weird for me to talk about. And, and, and I've talked about it with my close friends. But I haven't talked about it in public because uh, it's... A strange part of my past. It's partially shameful and, and odd, and I also don't want to incriminate the people involved, you know, and, and all stuff that, that seems relevant to the modern conversation of things that discourage against people speaking out, you know, and um, when I was 16 years old, I was in a relationship with a woman who was 27 years old. And she was also a teacher at my school, you know. Um, And I've never said that in public before, you know. And um, it was really weird. Uh, I grew up a very lonely kid, and I wasn't seen or heard by many people. And there was this woman that that saw me and heard me, you know, and um, she was really smart and she was really cool and all the people that I was in class with, she was the teacher's assistant, actually, but um, 
we became really good friends, and I, I had upper lunch as a sophomore, which lunch at my high school was divided into, you know, upperclassmen and lowerclassmen, and I was taking some upper classes, and so I was at upper lunch. I didn't really have too many friends to sit with, um, or that I felt comfortable sitting with. I knew a couple older kids, but I didn't feel like they really wanted me <laughs> hanging around. Um, so I would go to the, I would go to the choir classroom, you know, uh, where she taught. And, uh, fucking, I'm just, I don't know why I'm filled with dread right now trying to tell this story. Because part of me feels like I know people that knew her, and I know I'm not naming her by name, but all these details are pretty incriminating. But the statute of limitations has passed, and so... She can't be charged with any crimes, nor would I want her to. And that's what makes this so complicated. But I just remember at the time, after this relationship started, that I felt really fucking lonely and afraid. And I tried to find conversations about it nationally, support groups or any kind of conversation about something like this. And I just couldn't find anything. And it made me feel more alone. And so... My hopes is that in telling this story, anyone with a similar story feels like they're not alone. But I don't want to dip into just therapy shit, you know, because this isn't therapy shit. And I've talked about this a lot in therapy shit. Anyways, Whew, thanks for bearing with me, friends. Um, yeah, 16. Uh, my older sister was kind of getting into hard drugs and shit at the time. So basically, I was like a Boy Scout and like a good student and shit like that. So my parents were like not worried about me, you know? So I, I kind of had like a lot of leeway as far as like when I could come home and stuff like that. And I took advantage of that. And I started lying to them once I... Basically, yeah. So I was with this woman. We started becoming really good friends. I had a girlfriend at the time. I talked to her about and say that I like wasn't in love with her and didn't know what to do about it. Um... And I felt very seen and very heard and I really connected to and, and she would talk to me about Buddhism or just like uh, relationships or whatever, you know, and just uh, would kind of, as my therapist puts it, throw the ball back and forth, you know. And um, that was just like, it was weird because that was so important and so cherished by me at the time. And so validating to, to to see that I had worth as a person when I didn't see a lot of worth in myself as a person, you know? But the misconduct comes in, in, in that translating into, like, uh, a, a, a relationship, you know, and sex and such like that. And then that really makes everything so much more complicated and painful and not okay, you know what I'm saying? For someone 11 years younger than you, you know, sophomore in high school, it's a 27-year-old adult. Um... And so it was weird because I was a guy. And so, like, I would try to tell my friends about how it was, like, <laughs> strange, you know? And uh, people would just, like, give me a high five and be like, oh, yeah, it's fucking sick, dude. Like, nice, dude. Oh, you fucking the teacher? Cool, man. Uh, and it wasn't cool. It wasn't cool at all. It was, um, it was tricky because I was falling in love. We fell in love. It was the first person I ever fell in love with, and it was the first person I ever had sex with, and it was the first person I ever told that I loved them, first person I ever woke up beside, you know, in the morning, 
so many firsts. Uh, and in that way, it was a great loss of innocence, you know? Because it's not really a choice, you know? <laughs> I remember the night I lost my virginity. Um, I, like, uh, fucking... You know, I was lying to my parents. Told her, told them I was going to be at a friend's house. Went over to her apartment. She had a cat. I'm allergic to cats. Like, uh, you know, I, just, I had some wine. She gave me. Uh, I, it's weird. I had taken some medication that, that from we got from the CVS to like combat the allergies because they were like hardcore allergies, and it was a tiny apartment with a tiny cat. Regular size cat, tiny apartment. Um, and so I was like all these chemicals running through my body and, 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 and that was the first time me being naked with another person and I was like so excited because, you know, I was like a fucking pubescent boy. <laughs> um, and there's this beautiful woman like kissing me and, and telling me I'm worthy and... um. God, you know, uh, but also I was so afraid and, and so scared and, uh, just no one knew that I was there and, um, it was illegal and I knew it was illegal and it was just like, I just, it was just a lot, you know? And it was tricky because like every step of the way she was like, are you sure you want to do this? And I was like, yeah, you know? And she's like, okay. And then like, you know, I took her shirt off or whatever. And then like, you know, I started having sex, you know, and like, it was tricky because it was like, uh, you know, the power dynamics of like me being a guy, but her being the adult, you know, and so it was just kind of like the blind leading the blind. Um, but it was just, she was a fucking adult, you know, uncool, uncool and confusing. Um, and she kind of came from her own history of trauma, you know. And, and trauma that I had a lot of sympathy for and just general heart and mind that I connected with so much. And so she was this like best friend and this therapist and this mentor and uh, this friend and a pal, you know, and, and, and a fucking lover, you know. And uh, she served so many positive roles in my life that I was so hesitant to, you know, admit that there was like a lot of negative impact there and um I remember you know she she had been assaulted a lot of times you know um I think once as a child by her stepfather and she had a really complicated relationship with her parents and a lot of like I don't know if there was like some spousal abuse there just like traumatic emotional parent shit and uh she had been like drugged and like raped in college and like um confided all this in me you know and i've of course was incredibly sympathetic and like uh i wanted to be there for her you know and i wanted to take care of her and that's very much my nature you know but also when you're in a relationship you want to make <laughs> you want to make the other person feel okay you know, and it wasn't until later that I realized that that wasn't fair of her to ask. Um, because I, I do have sympathy for her in those situations. And and then that's fucking horrible and horrifying, all the horrifying shit that was done to her, you know? 
Um, you know, and she didn't like tie me up and and uh, you know hold me against my will. But there's like a lot of gray area there, and it's fucked up, man. Cause it was a huge loss of innocence, you know. And she was just, like having like PTSD at the time, and uh, we'd be staying at like a weird motel, you know, to avoid the cat allergies. Um, and she like lives in like LA, you know, and so I drive to LA. Or she lived in Long Beach, and she moved to LA after she got fired from the school for other reasons, which is crazier. Like I don't really know what the deal was there. Um, but she got let go because she was just like. She was the type of teacher that, like, all the students went to, like, with their problems, you know? And, like, um, it was a Catholic school, and apparently she gave somebody some advice about birth control or something like that. And, like, the Catholic school was like, you can't do that. You got to be Catholic. Weird. Um, at least that's what she told me. And now I'm like, fuck, is that, was that true? Or, like, I don't know. I don't know. She just let go amidst all of this. Um... I don't think the administration knew about it, but it was weird. Then I was, like, called in to be questioned, and I went to Catholic high school, so it was people by the members of the diocese, you know? I was being, like, interrogated, and I was, like, uh, you know, similar kind of ambiguous religious thoughts at the time for me, and definitely not a Catholic in the traditional sense, uh, but there was definitely a gravity about lying to people that were representing God. <laughs> I was like, fucking shit, man. And I was just crying all the time because I was so in love with this person. And I knew that it was just going to be such a violent process of her being taken away from me. And I knew that we couldn't be together, you know? And I just said we had to, it was all private and shameful and secret. And uh... yeah, I remember at this one motel, you know, one night, like she would have these night terrors you know these these seizures these these flashbacks from when she was raped you know and so it'd be like four in the morning and I'd be like holding her like telling her everything was going to be okay you know and like there's a human being in front of me going through like some horribly traumatic shit um and I can't blame her for for that you know but it was also traumatic for me you know and uh, I don't know. I just, I've had intimacy issues ever since, you know. Um, and it was really strange trying to date other 16-year-olds after that, you know. And also she was, like, well-versed in the worlds of addiction and things like that. And my sister was going through her struggles with addiction. And so she was an incredible resource. And, and similar to the role of a therapist where she was kind of removed from my life. And could kind of hear me and see me and offer insight, you know? And this is before I started going to therapy. And so I would, you know, we would talk all the time. Um, and, 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 and for, you know, we dated for about eight months. And then it kind of all fell apart. And my parents, you know, got wind of it and asked her to sign a restraining order. And they didn't want to take it to court and make it this big public thing. Which I appreciated because I didn't want it to be a big public thing. Um, I also didn't want to, I still don't want anything bad to happen to her. You know, I don't want her to go to jail. I don't want her to like be fucking uh, discredited in any way, you know. 
you know, and people would ask me, like, do you think she did that with other people? And I was like, fuck no, you know, because I know her. And I think I know her. And I thought I knew her. And then it's like, oh, fucking, I don't fucking know. I don't fucking know. Why am I working so fucking hard to defend this person that took so much from me? You know? <laughs> ah, It's fucking weird, man. And I just remember the, like, weird kind of male pressure of just, like, so, uh, oh, you like you? So you're fucking a beautiful woman at age sixteen? Like, boo, fucking who? You know. But it was really confusing. It was really painful, and it was really isolating. And I remember my friends were having like kind of irregular relationship issues, and I just like couldn't relate, you know. Um, and then you know she would she would call me drunk and like ask me to marry her and stuff like that, and. Or like just like throw the idea out there, and I was like, ha, 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 like I got to go to algebra tomorrow, you know, I'm gonna study for the algebra test or whatever fucking class I was in, you know. Um, and so I think it's really the power dynamic that's the weirdest part of it, you know, is that she had this role in my life as a teacher. And as an adult, and uh, she abused that role. Um, and it's complicated and it's messy. And for years after, I like attributed my entire uh, personality to her, you know? Because she impacted my life incredibly heavily in a lot of ways. And, and there, was a, there was a while where I was like, oh, she activated me in a lot of ways, you know? And it was actually not until I was talking to Aaron McGathy in Ireland, a previous guest of this podcast. And after we started recording, after we stopped recording, I, I shared with her this story because she's just like an incredible listener and like a powerful, awesome, uh, compassionate person who I felt uh, like could listen to me and, <laughs> and understand where I was coming from. And it was so generous of her upon just meeting me to listen to this incredibly personal story and offer me some insight, you know. And she was basically saying, like, that was not okay of that person to do to you, you know. And uh, just because you walked away stronger doesn't mean that she, like, gave you a gift. Like, maybe that's just because you're strong, you know. Because I would always be like, oh, like, maybe she's just, like, Mr. Miyagi type character or something like that, you know? And so I really just, I don't know. Aaron McGathy really helped me a lot in that regard, kind of move past the shame and guilt of it all and like just towards healing and compassion in myself, you know? Um, and so it's it's been hard for me to grow close to somebody else and uh, since then because there's so much damage there, you know? Um, and I think there was a part of me that liked being needed too, you know, and just, I don't know. I just didn't know what I was giving away at the time. And I wonder what I would be like now if I had just kind of like fumbled through my sexual awakening with somebody else that was also fumbling through it. And I don't know. I love who I am, you know? I, do, I really do. Um, 
And that happened. And there's nothing I can do to make it not happen. And it's not the worst thing in the world. Like, it gets so much worse, you know, as far as sexual misconduct goes. And that's the thing. It's like statutory rape's like so fucking weird. Because I'm like, rape? Like, that seems like a very intense word. Let's, let's not go there. I was not raped. Um, but it's also like, well, it wasn't just like all hunky-dory, you know? Somewhere in between. And I think the ambiguity caused me to not allow myself to feel compassion for the pain I was feeling. And I just felt more confused. I was like, wait, why is this? I shouldn't be feeling pain. (laughs) And so I'm still unpacking all this, guys. This was six years ago in my life. Um, She stayed in my life for a while. And then, you know, I had this weird romantic notion that we would like get lunch once a year or something like that. And I don't know. These days when I look back on it, I'm just like, dude, you know, I see like an 18-year-old girl at a party and I'm like, whoa, like, I feel like if I were to try to hit on that girl, that would be like a little creepy, man. (laughs) And that's legal. And there's only four years separation there. I think about 11 years. Anyways, thank you for listening to this story. And, uh, My personal contact information, Mac and Carol at gmail.com or happy sad talking at gmail.com. Um, if you have a story that you want me to listen to, if you want to just talk, um, send me a note. You know, love to talk. Um, I hope this uh, contributes to the conversation. Um, and I'm doing my best to not overthink it and, uh, I had a friend tell me recently, like, no one can tell you how to speak your truth. And I think that that is a powerful thing. And, um, yeah, I I hope this helps in some way. And um, my fear is that it's indulgent or that it's, uh, yeah, too personal or something like that. But it just, um, I don't know, I was listening to Mark Maron talk about Louis C.K. today and, and share his story about what happened to him in college and you know I'm fine like I'm I'm totally fine you know um I'm okay and I've had relationships since and I'll have relationships in the future you know and uh but I I I remember being struck at the time of like not being able to find anyone to talk to about it and the people I would talk with about it just had like no frame of reference you know (laughs) They were just like stare at me like diggers in the headlights, you know? <laughs> ah, um, so anyways, we live in a crazy universe where people are really fucking uncool to other people. So like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's important to tell these stories. It's a very, very messy universe and, um, I think that we can be kind anyways, you know, and in spite of, uh, (sighs) well-intentioned people that are shitty sometimes or fucking just monsters, you know, or like whatever, you know, there's a lot of shitty shit that happens. And, uh, I think we got to keep fighting the good fight friends. Um, cause it's worth it. And that's what life is all about. Um, 
is connecting to other people and lifting each other up and this life has the potential to at times be incredibly awesome and I think that's worth fighting for so I love you everybody and thanks for listening to this and uh I'm totally okay you know um I just do think that uh just wanted to tell the story because uh a lot of people telling, a lot of awesome, brave people telling stories right now. And if you don't feel like sharing your story, fucking, you don't have to. That's not your obligation. You have no obligation. You know what I'm saying? Like, you've been through enough. <laughs> I hope you're okay. Um, so I just know for every New York Times article, there's countless other stories of similar shit happening that won't ever uh, be heard. Um but if you feel like talking, there's a lot of people that feel like listening. And if you don't feel like talking, that's totally okay, too. I love you, and uh, hope you're okay. Take care, everyone. Happy sad talking. Happy sad talking. Happy sad talking. Happy sad talking.